Media Zoom, episode 95. From Vancouver, British Columbia. Gorgeous, gorgeous, sunny, sunny day in Vancouver. Let's see here. Turn this down a little bit and then. I don't know if I can bring up the weather here. It's just absolutely not a cloud in the sky. Actually, I take that back. I'm looking out the window, and there is a cloud out there. But um, compared to what June, as I've been told, normally is, I'm not going to complain at all. It's nice and sunny and and warm. 18C outside. Supposed to get up to a high of 19 for today. And uh, American speak, that's about 65, 66, 67 degrees. So... Not too bad at all in Vancouver. This is episode 95, making my uh, making my march towards 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 episode 100. <laughs> RadioZoom at gmail.com is the email address. Send me your feedback. RadioZoom.net. Get all those show notes, and you can also get a link right there to the Frapper Map, which is up at number 29. So if you want to sign up on that and let me know where everyone's listening in from. It's just a lot of fun. It's all about building a community, and how much better can it get than that? And coming up today, I've got uh, some news bits. We're going to go over just a few different things, a few main points. One of them being we'll revisit uh, what's going on with the BC Ferry investigation. Something kind of interesting as it's uh, kind of starting to unfold. We'll also talk about uh, number stations. If you pay attention to my blog, I told you it's going to cover about uh, cover it in the podcast. So I'm going to mention some uh, some stuff about number stations because it's just fascinating stuff. And what better way to kind of highlight it a little bit more uh, than doing it right here on the podcast? And also we'll do some hockey talk. We'll keep it short. We'll keep it sweet and uh, kick it off right now with some music by He's Hers. Submitted stuff from He's Hers, His Hers, He's Hers. Vanity Press is the name of the song. Check us out. Great music. Let me ask you, what the did you do it? 
he's hers But do you really like this music enough to stay up late? Wake up early, skip lunch, work 9 to 6.30 Sit down, homie, let me rap to you Nothing to smile about, but always got it wrong about I guess it's just a, a, a vanity press Leave sleep for when death comes or get someday Just don't fall asleep, baby Nothing to smile about, but always got it wrong about I guess it's just a, a, a vanity press Leave sleep for when death comes or get someday Just don't fall asleep He's Hers, of course, is the name of that band, and uh, you can check them out more, uh, he'shers.org, and get all the information. Actually, you can download some of their music on their website, and in fact, I bet you could probably download that song. That was, of course, the song called Vanity Press. I'm not sure what album that's on, but uh, that was emailed to me, submitted to me, radiozoom at gmail.com. Of course, that was the radio, excuse me, radio edit. Got some coffee coming back up on me. Ugh. And, um, yeah, he's hers right here on the Razium Podcast. So, thought we'd just kind of go over a few different little uh, news-related tidbits. A little segment that I guess I like to call news bits. And uh, the ongoing drama or affair or or a news story that I've been following since the the day it happened was the sinking of the Queen of the North, uh, which happened, oh man, that must have been about two months ago, uh, when one of the BC ferries sank just off the coast of the mainland of uh, British Columbia, and this was a boat that was going from the, uh, Vancouver Island to, uh, I do believe, Prince Rupert, yeah, I'm totally drawing a blank as to uh, the, the whole... Uh, story of the event right now at the top of my head but if you go back to previous episodes and also check out the links that I'll provide in the show notes you can read all about this but some interesting developments in the ongoing investigation of this uh, of this incident uh, this comes out of the Vancouver Sun uh, today and the the headline is training lapses linked to ferry sinking now I remember going through a few of these different news stories as they were coming out and the investigation was going on and I, I kept kind of wondering about uh, the possibility of this not being so much a mechanical failure as it was human error. And, of course, as things have kind of gone on, we found that this is probably pretty true that it was um, the, the, the fates of the people working on the boat that actually led to the sinking. Now, this is a piece out of the, the, the article that I'm looking at right now. Uh, just read it to you right here. Uh, Bridge crew on the ill-fated Queen of the North were so unfamiliar with steering and navigational equipment that they turned off a monitor displaying their course, according to preliminary findings from the Transportation Safety Board. The BC Ferries vessel, vessel with 101 people on board ran into Gill Island and plunged into the ocean uh, to the ocean floor on March 22nd. Uh, two passengers died, and this is a quote... From uh, one of the people, uh, information gathered so far has revealed that some bridge team members were not familiar with the use of all bridge equipment and controls, wrote Marcel Aiko, a safety board marine investigator, in a May 11th letter addressed to David Hahn, president of BC Ferries. The vessel had just been refitted, which included installation of a new steering mode selector switch at the main steering station. Although crew members who were involved with the refit had passed on information about the modifications to other crew members, not all crew members appear to have been adequately briefed. 
obviously. He noted members of the bridge team had different understandings of how the new steering mode uh, selector switch worked, nor were they all aware of the various screen screen color palette settings available for the display of electronic chart systems. Uh, while the chart system was left on, the monitor was turned off at night to reduce glare in the wheelhouse. So obviously, uh, even though they're uh, navigating this vessel in the middle of the night, the equipment that you would use to help essentially see through the dark uh, was kind of uh, ignored and not so much uh, on purpose as much as it just was uh, kind of sound like ignorance. So things are starting to kind of unfold, and they're starting to talk about, oh, either suspending or, you know, of course, terminating some of these people uh, that were a part of the, the whole incident. So I'll be definitely keeping a an eye on that, but uh, you'd believe that people that are in charge of these massively large vehicles, I mean, it's, it's a ship, it's a vehicle, and in charge of... Innocent people's lives just trying to get from point A to point B would be uh, checked and double-checked in terms of their understanding of the operation. I don't know. We'll find out more as this goes on. Now, the other thing that I want to just kind of talk about briefly, and I don't want to get too much into it because it's it's quite the touchy topic, but I think it's definitely worth taking a little gander at, is the terrorists that were recently arrested in Toronto. And there's a lot of talk on the news, the different uh, television news sources that are out, or in Canada, I mean. Uh, They're coming out and uh, really taking a look at this because this really brings terrorism to the the doorstep of Canada and has a lot of people kind of on the freaked out verge, but not really... um, it's, it's got a lot of eyebrows raised, that's for sure. Now, if you're not familiar with what's going on here, uh, 17 suspected Islamic extremists were arrested on Friday and Saturday of this past weekend. And apparently, their targets of their the alleged plot included political and economic symbols such as the Parliament Buildings and Peace Tower in Ottawa, along with the CN Tower and the Toronto Stock Exchange in Toronto. Now, the uh, of course, you know, the Parliament Buildings and Peace Tower, these are located... Uh, in the capital of Canada, which is known, which is Ottawa, the CN Tower. If you're not familiar, um, if, if you're a baseball fan, you'll know the CN Tower because uh, that is the, the 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 structure that's just outside of the Superdome. I'm not sorry, Skydome, Superdome, Skydome uh, in Toronto, where the Toronto Blue, uh, Blue Jays play. Actually, it's not the Skydome anymore. It's like the Rogers Center. I, I don't know what's called now. It's something corporate. Who knows? Uh, forever be this guy dumb to me. And, you know, Rebecca and I were watching the news last night, and, you know, if they would have uh, set off an explosive at the base of that, there's a good chance that it would have collapsed on top of the Sky Dome. So it kind of gives you an idea of uh, the impact that these these targets had. And, of course, you know, the Toronto Stock Exchange is not... Um, it's, it's like, you know, taking on a, uh, taking out... trying to take out, at least, uh, the American Stock Exchange in, in New York, in Manhattan. So... Uh, some other interesting issues or details, I'm sorry, of this whole thing, actually just as I was preparing uh, the show notes for this, just to kind of get an idea of what it was I wanted to mention. Um, the Vancouver Sun is running a story that just came out just a few hours ago. One of the men charged with plotting uh, to stage a massive terrorist attack on Canadian soil 
uh, also allegedly expressed a desire to behead Prime Minister Stephen Harper, his lawyer said on Tuesday. And this is the lawyer for one of the men charged with the plot. And uh, Gary uh, Batazar, uh, who represents 25-year-old restaurant worker Stephen Chand, or Chand, uh, dropped the uh, bombshell as he spoke to the media after 15 of the 17 people charged in the alleged plot made a brief court appearance in the uh, the city northwest of Toronto. Uh, He says, uh, the allegations as reported are quite serious, including storming and bombing of various buildings. There's an allegation that my client personally indicated that he wanted to behead the Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, He also said, uh, the synopsis of accusations provided by the Crown, the Crown being uh, the government, uh, included allegations that the group wanted to, quote, storm the Parliament buildings and, quote, take uh, political uh, politicians hostage. It also indicated that the CBC building in downtown Toronto was a potential target. So these are all potential targets. They, they don't really know um, so much as the the exact plans. Of course, that's you know probably going to unfold here over the well, not in the next few days. They're actually saying over the next few years that we'll actually be finding more and more of the details out. And, of course, you don't want to release a lot of these details because that will hamper the investigation and or the trial. Um, now, the other uh, interesting thing is, you know, oh, they had plans. Well, they also had a lot of the equipment necessary. Uh, and actually the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, were uh, they were uh, doing some undercover things and actually delivered three tons uh, fertilizer that could be used in conjunction with gasoline to create a bomb, much just like uh, what uh, Timothy McVeigh did in o- Oklahoma City. That was one ton of uh, of explosive substances. These guys were gathering three tons, or guy, or people, the, you know, and they were doing something in the woods. This thing is getting larger and larger as it's unfolding, so I'll provide links in the show notes to this, but it's got a lot of the country uh, uh, kind of freaked out. I, you know, I've been paying attention to the American media outlets, and they're starting to say how, you know, um, the United States should be also focusing on the northern border, not as much as the southern border with Mexico, with all all the immigration talk that's going on. And uh, you know, there's some murmurs going on around in Vancouver, and that's why I'm kind of getting around to, uh, you know, talking about these um, these news stories, is because, uh, well, in, in 2010, the Olympics are going to be here, and that's going to be a very, very large potential target. That's pretty apparent. But, you know, if you ask me, the the, the uh, likelihood of probably getting mugged while walking down the street is probably going to be much higher than being a part or being affected by a, a terrorist operation. I mean, no matter where you are, this is true, I think. You know, it could be true in, back in, 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 uh, in, in New York City to, to uh, Kansas City to uh, Austin, Texas uh, to all the way to Vancouver. So... Um, but the other thing is, too, is that we are one of the busiest ports, if not the busiest port in Canada here in Vancouver. So there's a lot of different things going on. A lot of people, uh, a lot of different organizations starting to step up to you know, press conferences and start talking about you know, what they're going to be doing in the future and things like that. So this is something I'll, I'll kind of take a look at but, and, and keep uh, tabs on. But it definitely is getting everybody to kind of open up their eyes and kind of go, whoa. That's pretty impressive in terms of not thinking that it could happen in your backyard, but there it is. Get away from this topic. I don't want to get into too much uh, detail about it. It's it, Like I said, as it's unfolding, and there's a lot of empty uh, avenues in terms of all of the details and everything, and I'm sure 
will be plenty more to discuss as things go on. Roll on right here to this song, Joan of Arc. Something a little more mellow. We'll come back. We're going to talk about something a tad bit geeky. Lots of radio-y. <laughs> radio Zoom. Eventually all at once We each exist when we song eventually all at once that comes off of the same album of the same name uh, eventually all at once and you can find out more about joan of arc at joanfrc.com and uh, they not to be mistaken with a i think a, a hebrew or a yiddish band i'm not exactly sure but i ran into him while searching uh, online so don't get confused joanfrc.com <laughs> So 
So we're going to switch gears here completely and talk about something that I find incredibly, incredibly fascinating. And it's something that's been brought to my attention not very long ago. So I can't really claim that I'm an expert about this at all. But I do know is that it's just really interesting to me. And I'd like to find out more or at least pay attention to uh, uh, to about it, I guess, more. And uh, as I'm learning more and more about this phenomenon known as number stations. Now, looking at this definition I found on Wikipedia... I know I rely on Wikipedia a lot, but it's a really great resource for finding, you know, information out there on the internet. You can argue as if it's uh, valid or not, but you know, if you search on Google and you find some random website web page by Joe Blow, fifty-four year old to Joe Blow, twelve year old, you know, what's the difference? So, I like Wikipedia a lot. Number stations are shortwave radio stations of uncertain origin. They generally broadcast people. Reading streams of numbers, words, or letters, excuse me, sometimes using a phonetic af- alphabet. The voices can be heard on these stations uh, are often mysterious, mechanically generated, spoken in a wide variety of languages, usually female, but sometimes male or those of children. Evidence supports popular assumptions that the broadcasts are channels of communication used to send messages to spies. This has not been publicly acknowledged by any government that may operate a number station, but in one case, numbers station espionage has been publicly prosecuted by a foreign court. Number stations appear and disappear over time, and although some follow regular schedules, and uh, sorry, and their overall activity has increased slightly since the early 1990s, uh, this increase suggests that they uh, that when they were spy-related phenomena, they were not unique to the Cold War. So it's very interesting to see that since the collapse of the Russian uh, or the the communist government in Russia, uh, actually number stations have gone up. So you'd think that the majority of the spying would have gone, you know, or there was a large amount of spying going on during that era, and that when the Cold War was over, these number stations would decrease in number or in in, uh, frequency. But in actuality, the numbers of them have been increasing, more and more popping up here and there. So. How do they work? And instead of relying on a Wikipedia definition about it, I made a post on my blog about this yesterday, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program or this episode. And uh, the Reverend Don Dealey chimed in with a quite a long uh, comment, and I, I couldn't find a better way to kind of explain it to you in more, in more layman's terms. Well, I'll say that with uh, generosity there, because this is. It, it gets kind of confusing in terms of the mathematics that are involved, but it's really, really interesting. So see if you can kind of follow along. Don explains it this way. The article that you initially sent me uh, seemed to miscommunicate the way that number station codes work. It starts with a basic message. Let's say message hi, H-I. In alphanumerics, A equals 1, B equaling, equaling 2, this message would be 8, 9. So H would equal 8, and I would equal 9. So if you send 8, 9, you do... Uh, decode that and be high. Converting it back and forth is cake, especially uh, for longer messages since patterns emerge and etc. Now you want to send it in such a way that nothing can stop the recipient from receiving the message short of the capture and murder of the recipient. So you broadcast it via shortwave, or now phone, as we'll find out here in a little bit. Anyone with a radio can hear it and there's no way to stop the message from getting out. However, anyone can hear it so you need to disguise it. You need a random element that only you and the recipient know. And this is where the genius of number stations lie. 
our message is hi, 8, 9. Now, we'll take an infinitely long, non-repeating string of numbers, pi, 3.14, blah, 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 blah. We'll start after the decimal point, and here's how our number stations work. Original code is 8, 9. You throw in the randomizer, 3.14, and your message turns into 9, 13. So the message that gets broadcast would be 913 or the letters IM, oddly enough. The key, no pun intended, to the whole process is the randomizer. It doesn't make every H equal 9 instead of 8. It only makes the first H equal 9 instead of 8. The next time a 9 comes up in the message, it can mean anything. And anything could be used to create the random string, uh, a math formula, especially a ranged deck of cards, a specific, uh, specific pa- passage from a book. As long as the sender and recipient are agreed on what the randomizer will be, they can send messages back and forth without anyone hoping to crack it. And the reason it's uncrackable, no number station's ever been cracked, ever, though there is an ongoing project to break one, is because it has two random elements, the randomizer and the initial message. Yes, language does tend to fall into certain patterns over a long enough span, but is also fairly chaotic. So if you have an initial message that you don't know altered by a random string of characters that you also don't know, and each character in the message you have is independent of every other character in the message. So I don't know if you could follow along with that. This is just simply the communication back and forth via codes. And you have a single broadcast point, and this in shortwave, shortwave can travel very, very long distances. It can go around the world, essentially, because it's um, being transmitted on such a low frequency, and the low frequency can go very, very, very far. The quality is poor, but if you're just broadcasting you know, your voice, reading digits after one after another, it comes through pretty all right. And this is a way that you can communicate secret messages to a, a, a specific person at a certain point. Now, yes, anyone can hear this. But that's the genius of it, is because you have these codes that are essentially unbreakable. You don't know what's being transmitted. You don't know what, what, the, uh, what, what that randomizer is. If you don't know what that is, it's very, very difficult to crack the codes because there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands, millions, whatever, of different ways that you could crack the code. But unless you have that one key, you won't know what it is that you're listening to. Now, what do, what do you mean? How is this working? Uh, let me play you some examples and you'll get a, a better idea of what it is that we're kind of uh, looking at here. Now, this comes from the, the Conet project. I'm thinking I'm saying that right. Uh, it's a recording of shortwave number stations. Now, this is actually something you can pick up on archive.org. Uh, it's a 4D, four CD set of recordings of number stations, mysterious shortwave radio stations of uncertain origin believed to be operated by government agencies to communicate with spies in the field. The collection was released by England's, um, I want to say, Ardial Discs record label in 1997. And in keeping with uh, the free music philosophy that uh, that record label has, they have made the entire collection available for download in MP3 form, along with a uh, PDF version of the bo- uh, the booklet uh, on its website, completely free of charge, and encourages fans to freely distribute it on file-sharing networks. Not to mention, you can also find it on archive.org, which is where I will provide a link uh, in the show notes. You can go check this out. But, <laughs> excuse me, I also play uh, an example here. Now, uh, I'm going to play this one 
And the description that I was able to get off of the, um, the, the website itself, the little PDF that came with it, is that this track is actually was, uh, it's called uh, Counting, and it's used by the CIA, may or may not be active, and note the use of tree holler separated by the 9-9 groups. Now, I'm only going to play snippets of this, but just to kind of give you an idea of what number stations are all about. So obviously you can hear that with shortwave radio, there's a lot of a uh, lot of different things to contend with in terms of interference and the quality. But you can see that there's an obvious pattern of numbers going being said here and repeated in a certain pattern. Usually it's a group of numbers, usually about five to six numbers long, and then they're repeated a second time, and then it's moved on to a next batch and repeated twice. Next batch repeated twice. So obviously it's for someone, you know, you can hear it, write it down, hear it a second time, double check and write down any more that you need to know, and then the next batch of numbers come along. I think. You never know. It could be something completely different here. And these recordings are people that have just been listening on shortwave and they just heard this going on and so they quickly, you know, fired up the tape recorder or whatever and uh, tried to uh, capture some of this. Some of these things are uh, so planned out and so thought out that they're on a certain frequency at certain times and they're, they're there, they're always there, they're always there at a certain time but it's hard to understand where they're coming from and who they're intended for or why it's even there in the first place. This one actually was, uh, according to the, the booklet here, was recorded in 1994. Now the one, this next one I'm going to play for you here which is very interesting and has uh, quite a legacy around the internet apparently after doing some searches is the, called the Lincolnshire Poacher, uh, and apparently this is operated by the British MI6, and the station is operated on 17 frequencies, and each transmission is always lasts exactly 45 minutes, and 205 figure groups are always sent, and is only this is the only station that uses inflection in the voice, and the last number in each five figure group has a higher intonation than the previous four numbers, and uh, it says here that the the uh, the LP is jammed consistently. Uh, possibly by Iran or Iraq, and there's one frequency that's never jammed, and the station takes its name from the interval signal, the Lincolnshire Poacher, which is played using a Callaloop sound. So let's check this out here. like a little bit of a music interlude that goes on before it. And sometimes different number stations have this, and we'll, we'll hear another example of that in just a moment. This one seems to go on. Let me see if I can forward on just a little bit. Let's 
fast forwarding it through just a little bit, see if we can get to it. Here it is. Three, So this goes on and on and on and on, repeating these numbers over and over and over, and it's it's kind of creepy. Why are these numbers being transmitted? Why are these still in existence? Even though it's, if it was meant for after the co- or you know communicating with spies, what's why are there um, more stations now and uh, what's there to be uh, so secretive about? I guess. I'm not trying to sound too conspiracy theorist here. Uh, here's another one that's really interesting. It's this is also shortwave, and uh, I won't play too much of it, but it's just also kind of creepy because uh, it has, of course, that music in the beginning here. Okay, now there's some tones. This is called the Swedish Rhapsody, recorded in 1993. plays a second time here. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. And then you'll hear a little girl's voice come on. And why they're using a little girl's voice, I don't know. But she, once again, starts... starts over again. Who knows? Who knows what these are all about? Now, the other curious thing that's going on, though, being that these recorded back in 1993, 95, or whatever, uh, that Swedish Rhapsody was recorded in 1993, um, according to Slashdot.org, and I'll have a link to this story in the show notes, these number stations are starting to pop up on voice over IP telephone numbers, and you find them listed mysteriously in newspaper ads, and then people can call them up, and they hear something the sounds like this. So once again, we have more music in front of... Let me kind of go forward a little bit. This. Group 6. One, seven. Group 6. One, seven. Zero. Six. One, zero. Seven. Zero. Six. One, zero. And this just showed up in the past couple of weeks. These number stations on voice over IP phone numbers. Here's another one. Five, one, zero. One, two, zero, seven, nine. One, two, zero, seven, nine. Zero, four, six, zero. So is this espionage? Is it secret societies? Is it uh, geeky people who just really like building coding, coded messages and sending them to their geeky friends to have geeky parties somewhere at a certain geeky location? I don't know. 
The simple fact, though, is that these things are out there. They exist. They're very strange, and it's amazingly mind-boggling that I just I had to share it somehow, and I thought that this would uh, be a really good avenue to do that. Maybe if you don't find it interesting, but, um, man, it's really it's, it's, it's scientific. Um, and these things have been around since World War One. These these ways of communic- uh, communication. In fact, probably since the days of the wireless first existing, this is how uh, some you know secret you know, communications between uh, enemy lines and friendly lines or whatever were sent back and forth. And uh, they're still in use, and they're incredibly still successful because, like Don said, nobody's ever been able to break them. So enough about number stations. Let's listen to uh, some music here by Ambulance. Ambulance LTD Ambulance LTD with song Sugar Pill And we'll come back here on the Radio Zoom Podcast
Ambulance with the song Sugar Pill off of the New English EP. You can find out more about Ambulance LTD at ambulancenyc.com. And I don't want to waste too much more time, but I will let you know that I made a new bumper for the Hockey Talk segment. Oh, nothing like some Wayne's World. I want to keep this hockey talk segment shavement segment short because uh, I've got a learning hockey segment to follow up here. But I just want to give you a quick recap. If you don't know, the Stanley Cup Finals are underway. Carolina beat Edmonton last night in Raleigh, five to four. The big news in the game is that Rolson is going to be out with the series uh, with a knee injury. Rolson being the goalie, the starting goalie for Edmonton. And uh, Ty Conklin will be the man in the net for Game 2 if, that is, if the Oilers uh, forgive him for essentially allowing the empty net goal that he, he went behind the net to play the puck with the game tied at 4-4 and Ron, uh, Rod Brendamore, he flew in, grabbed the puck and stuffed it in before Conklin was just kind of like, whoa. And then next thing you know it was 5-4 with like, I don't know, less than a minute left. I didn't get to see all of the, uh, all of the game. Um, the big thing is uh, well, Brenda Moore had two goals on the night for Carolina. Ray Whitney did the as just as well, and uh, Chris Pronger for the uh, Edmonton Oilers scored the first penalty shot goal in Stanley Cup history. That's in Stanley Cup history. He was uh, awarded a penalty shot due to a penalty uh, in the game, and uh, he was able to complete that. However, Edmonton had the three to one lead going into the third period, but. You know, everything broke down, and the Canes just worked really hard. And they really got a break uh, with, with Conklin, or what, whatever you want to call that. But uh, the big thing is that, though, it was Rolson, their starting goalie, out for the series. Knee injury, collision with a uh, Carolina player that actually one of the Edmonton players shoved into him. It's very interesting to have it all uh, kind of happen that way. But I have a, I'll have a link in the uh, show notes to Yahoo Sports for more info on the action. I like Yahoo Sports better than I like CBC Sports because uh, their box scores just are not to my liking. I don't know. Uh, it's just it's just like mumble. It's just cluttered and it, nice. Yahoo Sports is nice and laid out, and I'm able to look at it. So I'll provide a link to the show notes. You can find out all the information you want to right there. Right now, though, kill this. And uh, well, with all the recap of the Stanley Cup craziness going on, let's learn you some hockey. In this edition of Learning Hockey with Uncle John, we're going to be learning about the penalty offside. In ice hockey, play is said to be offside if a player on the attacking team enters the attacking zone before the puck. When an offside violation occurs, the linesman blows the play dead and a face-off is conducted in the neutral zone. There are two determining factors in an offside violation. Attacking player's skate position. If a player's skate is in contact with the blue line, he is considered to be in the neutral zone, thus the play is not offside. The other factor is puck position. The puck must completely cross the outer edge of the blue line to be considered inside the attacking zone. Once in the zone, it must completely cross the blue line again to be considered out of the zone. One variation of this penalty is known as the tag-up offside. Tag-up offside gives the attacking team a chance to get back onside, enter the zone, and attempt to regain control of the puck. For the offside to be washed out or cancelled, all players on the attacking team must make skate contact with the neutral zone or blue line for one instant. 
Play is stopped immediately if a player from the attacking team touches the puck in the attacking zone while he or any of his teammates is offside. Offside is also used to refer to a player lining up on his opponent's side during a faceoff. There is no penalty for this, though the faceoff may not be conducted while the player is offside. And for those lovers out there of American football and hockey, it's offside. Offsides is the incorrect way to pronounce this penalty. This has been another edition of Learning Hockey with Uncle John.
want to play it later? Together? Huh? Uh, sure. I'll walk you out. Thanks. Let me just turn this off. Project Polaroid. Uh with the song Space 8000. Project Polaroid actually is a collaboration project between Tom C3 and Cool Keith. And uh, there's really no website for you to go find out more about these guys, except you can just go to their respective websites, tomc3.com and coolkeith.co.uk, and find out all the information you want to know about the Polaroid project, or sorry, Project Polaroid. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for today. Another edition of Radio Zoom in the can hopefully you didn't mind things getting a little tripped out there with the whole talk about the um about the number stations like i said once again it's just something that i find really really fascinating the fact that these things exist and it seems like there's more and more of them popping up and why are they still there and i really suggest that or i you know recommend if you found that to be interesting find out more about it find uh, the the links uh in the show notes and you can read more about the in the in the booklet that's included with the number station stuff. Uh, if you download that music or the MP3s off of archive.org, you can find out more about it and uh, find out the ongoing history and uh, of uh, number stations around the world. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to read for you, I guess. Why? I don't know. It's just kind of cool. All right, I'm out of here. We'll check you later. Adios.